There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tim McKernan. It's time for another interview, ladies and gentlemen, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. We are broadcasting from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Our guest this week, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, Grant Wistrom. Grant Wistrom is someone who I have interviewed, I would imagine, who knows how many times, but most of the times... They were television interviews, uh, either at a Rams practice back when I was doing television and the Rams were here and Grant was playing. Um, And so you're talking about very brief interviews and he's like giving you five minutes, you know, because that's what they would do. And then it's, you know, you're getting 15 second sound bites. There's not a lot there. Uh, Had him on the radio a couple of times since he played. He's always kind of amusing. He's uh, And the thing that you will discover is while he had an absurdly successful career. I think I'm more excited about his career than he is uh, at this point. Um, Now, maybe, you know, 1995 or 97 or whatever, when he was in national championships at Nebraska or 99, 2000, 2001 uh, with the Rams, would have a different program, but um, just laid back, you know, really good guy um, and laid back. And then also because he is really good guy and laid back, um, there's just candor galore, which is what I'm always looking for in an interview. Um, and so, you know, for, rain, for the, for the Missouri fans listening, of course, we talk about November, I believe it was November 8th, 1997, the flea kicker. If it wasn't November 8th, it was November 7th or 6th or something like that. Uh, the flea kicker against Nebraska. Um, and, uh, but we also talk about, you know, he's a, he's a Missouri guy. Web City and uh, and his recruitment as a college football uh, or high school football god, and also some uh, Missouri football recruiting stories, which will probably tilt Tiger fans. Uh, and then, of course, his his time at Nebraska, his getting drafted by the Rams, and um, and then we kind of go into the weeds on some of the the Rams stuff, ranging from his playing time uh, to his exit from the game, which was with the Seahawks. And then to uh, the Rams relocation, and it's just it's there. I didn't I didn't get the feeling at any moment that he was holding back, and I'm quite confident when you were done listening, you will feel the same way. So you know, I know I've said it a million times, but that's because I feel it. I loved this interview, uh, and I think you will as well. Grant Wistrom, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. He is online at TheHomeLoanExpert.com, his website, TheHomeLoanExpert.com. But he is the Home Loan Expert because he is the one who's going to be able to get you approved and get you ready to go to buy a home better than anybody else, quicker than anybody else, more thorough than anybody else. And then if the time comes that you want to refinance, he is the person for that as well. He is the Home Loan Expert online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, Grant Wistrom. 
Uh, Grant, it, it, it's great to hear from you. I know a lot of the listeners go, yeah, I think he's in, I think he's in Springfield and I think he's coaching football and I think he has a gym. So are, are all of those things accurate? Uh, you know, you're betting about 750 there. Nice. Um, I am in Springfield. I do co-own a CrossFit gym down here, CrossFit Springfield. Uh, I got out of coaching. Uh, man, I, uh, coaching really wasn't for me. Uh, what was the issue there? I enjoyed it. Well, you know, like I got into high school. I jumped into high school right away, and I didn't enjoy it at all. It wasn't, it wasn't the type of program that I was used to. Um, I don't know. I just didn't appreciate the kids weren't a good football team, and it was an attitude that permeated throughout it. And then just being a coach and not the head coach, you have so little control over yeah. that. Uh, and it just, it really rubbed me the wrong way, the way some of the things are done. So, and then also the biggest issue though, was a time issue for me. Uh, at the time, my kids were like five and three. Uh, and so I'm gone from, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon till eight o'clock at night, uh, coaching kids that aren't even mine when, you know, I should be around my kids at that point in the evening. So, you know, that was a, that was a bigger, bigger issue. But then, uh, my, my son started playing. And I got to coach him for a couple of years, and that was an absolute blast. Um, How old was he when you were coaching him? Uh, seven. I got him started right away. And it only lasted a couple of years for him. I just football's not for him. But uh, just to uh, – I loved it. And someday I could see when, you know, my kids are grown and I need something to do. Uh, going back and just volunteering, coaching youth football somewhere, it was, it was a blast. So when you're talking cross CrossFit, is that something that you do, or you just have ownership in, in a CrossFit gym? Um, you know, I don't compete at it. I'm in there working out pretty much every day. My wife competes at it. She's amazing. She uh, placed uh, fifth in her age group at the CrossFit World Championship in Madison last year. Um, she's amazing. I, I wow. go in there, so I, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, she's something else. I go in there so I can eat and drink whatever I want and not look totally disgusting when I take my clothes off. So, uh, <laughs> that, that's but aren't you like but so much thinner than when you were playing now? Yeah, I'm about 30 pounds lighter, but, uh, CrossFit's so much about the community. We have an amazing community of people here and, uh, we've, you know, been beset by tragedy in the last couple of weeks and just, uh, seeing the way the community came together. What and, tragedy uh, do you speak of? I'm not sure what I'm at. Um, well, you know, back uh, we had a coach here. A uh, kid was an amazing young man. Um, he basically knew he wanted to be a Marine his whole life. Uh, went to uh, Marine officer school. Was a you know graduated a second lieutenant. And uh, before he had just, geez, on November third, he had completed um, underwater Marine water survival school. So he, over a course of like three weeks, he just got done swimming like forty five miles in the open ocean one of the most amazing human beings you'll ever be around. And uh, he went to a hospital on um, like the 11th with a stomach ache. Uh, well, his, he was chest cat, his abdomen was swelling and he thought he had some internal bleeding from training or something. And he went in and they just found some tumors in his stomach. And two weeks later, uh, he passed away. Oh um, my God. It was that aggressive. Yeah. So uh, he had just gotten married this past August. So, you know, just coming together to support his family and uh, just being there for him. Um, it's, that's what that's what it's all about, and that's why I love it. As much as the workout component for me, it's the community. That's all. That's always about every CrossFit. So I'm curious because I, I work out. Uh, you know what I would imagine would be considered the old school way. You know, one day you're doing chest, the next day deadlift, next day shoulders and squats, then arms, whatever it is, uh, and then some high intensive uh, interval training. That's my bag. The CrossFit thing 
strikes me as being, you know, way more intense than, you know, let's do a set and then rest for a couple minutes and let's get back after it. Do you like the the CrossFit more than the old school way, or is it just a way for it to keep fresh since you've been probably lifting for 30 years or something? Well, at first it was a change for me. Um, it just it, it gave me a different competitive outlet uh, because I first started doing it, you know, I did try to be good at it and whatever just because that's the type of person I am. As I've begun to age, that's less important to me. So uh, now it's just going in there and trying to stay fit. But I, I do appreciate the uh, – the lack of rest in the workout where you're keeping your heart rate going. Um, and I don't know if it's, you know, CrossFit hurts bad enough that I eat better outside of the gym and take care of my body better outside. Or, um, you know, I just, if I'm training that hard, I take care of myself better anyway. Either way, it, it makes me it just live a better life. And just, I guess, the eating clean, the, the high-intensity training, I just feel better. I look better. I have reduced inflammation in my body. The big body movements that CrossFit likes to use, the compound movements, uh, I, I think are very uh, functional outside of the gym. Um, and I, I, I think it's given me a lot of my range of motion back that I feel that, you know, just due to wear and tear and playing off of my entire life, I've lost. What was your average weight, you think, during your playing career? You know, it varied at each stage of my career. Um, in college, I was 225. and But at the NFL, I was probably around 263 to 265, right in there, 260, 265. It was funny. After my rookie year up there, I, I was not a good professional my rookie year. Um, and, you know, we were a bad team and whatever. I, I feel bad about that. But uh, I, our last game of the season, we we were done, and uh, Coach Ramil grabbed me afterwards, and I had finished uh, the season very late. Like I said, I wasn't a good professional. I probably I wasn't taking care of myself outside of, you know, the football field and you know training and all that the way that I should. So I'd really lost some size during the season, and I weighed in after the last game and weighed 247 pounds playing defensive end in the NFL. And, wow. Uh, I had had a particularly good game, which was what didn't happen that often in my rookie <laughs> year. And uh, Coach Ramil, and it was against a really good player. Coach Ramil grabbed me, he's like, 247 pounds, huh, Grant? And I don't know why I'm not usually this kind of a smart ass. But I look at him, I go, yeah, ask him. I forget who the guy was I was going against. I'm like, yeah, ask him how it was having 245 pounds kicking his ass all day long. <laughs> but uh, I, that usually wasn't. Something I'd say, but I don't know if I was feeling myself that day. But I don't know. I'd say right around 265 was mostly most of my playing days. So then does that mean that the, the math is you're about 235 now? Uh, yeah, right around there. Okay. 235, yeah, give or take. And so I'm curious because I, I now that I've kind of gotten into it, obviously not at, at remotely in your world, but uh, you know, using my fitness pal to track what you eat. Do you track what you eat, or do you just know you're eating clean as you described it? Well, I geez. like macros and, and you know obviously caloric intake, or is that just not something you monitor and you just kind of have a ballpark no, idea? I, I, I tried doing my fitness pal for a while, and it, it I couldn't do it. It just drove me crazy trying to keep track of things. So I I really try not to eat out of packages is my main deal. Okay. Um, and uh, I try to I make most of my food at home. I do a lot of meal prep, uh, so I, I kind of know what I'm eating all the time, but I don't really. The only, I mean, I weigh a few things out. Like I eat, try to eat as much vegetables as I can. I don't weigh my vegetables, and I weigh my carbs and protein. But I have a general idea of what I need to eat at this point. But 
up until about eight o'clock at night. At eight o'clock at night, all bets are off. I <laughs> I am a human garbage. <laughs> that's the issue, though. It kills you. It wastes like the previous fourteen hours of being good. Well, that's okay. My deal is if I can be good eighty percent of the time, I'm ahead of the game. I'm not <laughs> trying to bat a thousand. But I mean, there there are times that I will be like, all right, I'm at like you know whatever thirteen hundred calories and one hundred fifty grand. I weigh a buck sixty five, so we're operating in two different zip codes here. But uh, <laughs> but I'll be like, you know what? I'm craving White Castles, and I'm stone sober by the way when I'm craving White Castles, which is certainly uncharacteristic. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm gonna go get some White Castles, and I'm like, oh, and then I end, then I look up the numbers on each White Castle, and I'm like, oh my god, I just ate four thousand calories. What in the hell did I do? Yeah, Is that what you're doing? Are you going to that point, or what? What do you got going on? Yeah, I mean, not if I don't leave. You know, I'm not leaving the house to go get food. Uh, but if it's in the house, like, and my wife is an incredible cook, and my daughter's getting to where she likes to bake some too, and I, and I like to cook as well. So there's always treats around the house. So you're a treat guy. Oh man, I'm hammering any type of thing. But <laughs> also, if there's a bucket of grilled chicken wings that I've made in the fridge, you know, they're not off limits either. I'm, a, I'm an equal opportunity sort of guy. But that, that's not a bad thing, though, right? Am I right? The grilled chicken well, wings no, versus but when the... you're eating 12 of them oh, okay. at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, that might not necessarily be recommended. So here's the thing that I like to ask when I get a chance to have uh, guys on the show who excelled professionally. And it's because it's never talked about, especially when we're like hitting you up in the locker room and asking you a quick question here and there and, and getting 15 second sound bites. I'm always curious when you have somebody who played at your level, killed it in college, killed it in the NFL, when you realized and when perhaps people around you realized that you had the ability you had, because usually it flashes at a super young age before you're on the radar of people, even in high school, you know, certainly before Lincoln, Nebraska. So for you, you were born in Joplin, correct? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And did you, so did you grow up and play high school in in the area, like, when did you start playing yeah. football when were you just, well, like, the Webster, best dude right out of the gate? No. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I played at Webb City, which, you know, they're a powerhouse yeah. in Missouri now. Um, uh, they were they had just kind of started on that trajectory when I when I was coming through. Um, so, just, I, I didn't start my sophomore year. You know, I played my junior. I started my junior year. I should have started my sophomore year. I still have arguments with my coach about that. But, uh. <laughs> There's, there's got to be a 25-year statute of limitations on this. No, 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 no. He <laughs> said he did it on purpose. He said he knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, wow. Metagame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and so, um, so Web City, you know, I didn't start to my junior year. I don't think I made All-State or anything. As a senior, I made All-American in high school. So, But, uh, but I don't know. I never – my parents never let me feel that way, that I was outstanding. It was always, I'm a pleaser, and I, it was always nothing, even for me, was ever good enough. So I, I don't know if I just didn't acknowledge that or I didn't creep in or my parents just kept it from me, but nobody ever would ever just come up. And Web City's not that kind of town. It's a very blue-collar town where, hey, we're all good. You're a good guy. I'm a good guy. Let's keep put our head down and keep working. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like – People in the you know in social media wasn't obviously anything I ever even heard of back then. So you, you just don't. And I follow the recruiting cycle now. Kids in high school, it's crazy the attention that they get. And I'm in. That's great. Whatever. I don't care one way or the other. But just people hanging on kids every word and messaging kids. I don't get it. But you know, I'm glad that wasn't around back then. So I, I don't know. You know, I guess in my junior year of college, I contemplated coming going out in the draft. 
only if I was going to be a top 10 pick. So that was, I guess, maybe the first time I thought I was anything special. Really? I but, but, I mean, you're, but, but I mean, you're saying you're junior year college and you're playing at like one of the best college football programs and teams that, that that's ever been. So, so I'm curious on the high school recruiting process. Did you have everybody around the country trying to get you to their campus? Um, most. Yeah, I mean, if Nebraska's coming after you, I would imagine everybody else is. Yeah, most colleges were, um, you know, I think like the only, I don't, yeah, I think like the only college that didn't recruit me that I kind of wish they would have would have been Florida. But, uh, you know, I, I had, I had a, you know, good selection of colleges to pick from. What was, and I wouldn't, I don't know why I was bummed out Florida didn't recruit me back then. I just remember feeling that way. Right. Yeah. I guess they they were probably in national championship mode at, uh, at around that time, I guess, or at least it was Spurrier was the coach. So, so what was it about Nebraska that made you go there? Well, no, actually my first visit was to Michigan and I had a freaking amazing time up there. My whole deal, because I, I, like you you know, you asked, I, I had the, the pick of the litter as far as programs. Um, so I was going to get to play good football regardless of where I went. For me, it was where do I fit in best with the players? These are going to be the guys that I'm living with, hanging out with, growing up with for the next four or five years. And in if you like the people that you're working with, you're going to work together better and you're going yeah. to be more successful anyway. So I was looking for like-minded people. Um, when I went to Michigan, I found that. I, I fell in love with it. I had an amazing time with the players. The only reason I didn't commit back then or at Michigan was because I promised my dad I'd take all my trips. Um, I came back. I went on a trip to Nebraska. They sent me out. I don't know if you ever remember a guy, Trev Alberts was a defensive oh, yeah. end at Nebraska Absolutely. back in, you know, an amazing football player, third pick in the draft. And, uh, Trev was my host and Trev was on his way out. It was right after his senior year. So it wasn't a guy I was going to get to know or be around for the next four years. So didn't have a great time. Did get a great feel. I came home and my dad asked me what I thought. I'm like, you know, dad, I really, it wasn't that awesome. Um, I'd like to go back some other time. So I went up on a, an unofficial visit and uh, liked it a lot better, but still Michigan was the place for me. Uh, and then um, my, uh, my position coach, the guy who ended up being my position coach in Nebraska, called my dad out of the blue one day. And he's like, you know, Hey Ron, uh, what's Grant thinking? He's like, well, you know, well, Tony, you know, I think he's going to go to Michigan. And my coach asked why dad talked to him. He's like, well, you know, can I sit down and show some things to you on film? I don't really think he's seen it the way that it'll play out, blah, blah, blah. My dad said, I'd love to, but unfortunately, I'm in Houston today. And it, the, my coach said, you know what? I'm in Houston right now, too. So just, you know, the stars aligned. They sat down. They talked it out. Dad convinced me to go take another trip up there. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Woke up the next day, knew that that was the right place for me. And, um, so, you know, it just the planets aligned. And uh, But, you know, luckily, uh I chose, well, and I prayed about it hard, too. It's the only thing in my life that I've really ever prayed about hard. And I just woke up one day, and I knew that I was going to Nebraska and set the stage for the rest of my life. Wow. Now, as, as, a, as a gentleman who went to the uh, University of Missouri, I'm obligated to ask this question, even though I already have a feeling the answer is, is not going to be particularly pleasant. Did you ever give any consideration whatsoever when visiting Ann Arbor or Lincoln or everybody else around the country outside of Gainesville and in going to Columbia, Missouri? Um, it was Bob Stoll. It's funny, yes. Bob Stoll was on his way out, and Larry Smith had just gotten hired. I had an absolutely horrendous recruiting Bob Stoll. I would not have, I was, I did not have a trip scheduled to Missouri. Um, 
and uh, he did not like that and let me know. Um, so Stoll, Stoll did not like it, or Smith? Stoll did not like it at all, I and mean, he let me know about it. Well, that doesn't um, seem like that doesn't seem like a good way to endear yourself to the to the eighteen year old you know superstar. Well, Coach Smith gets hired in the middle of the recruiting process. Complete night and day difference. Uh, he, Coach Smith was like, "Hey, I understand we're not where we want to be right now either, but we're gonna we're heading that way. If some, wherever you go, wherever you land, if it does not work out, know that you have a home here." Completely different experience getting to deal with Coach Smith. So. Um, you know, I, at the time I wasn't going to go to Mizzou anyway, but, um, it, it would have been a, probably a little bit different experience, um, had Coach Smith been there the entire time. Okay. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Grant Wistrom here on the Tim McKernan show. All of our guests presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Somebody that I've gotten to know here because he's a sponsor but also because I've just been really impressed with the way he goes about it. And then when I tell people to go to evergreenstl.com or to call him at 314-889-0503, and then they do, and then they email me and they go, wow, you were not exaggerating. This guy really is good. Thank you for driving home how important it is to work with somebody like this because it was one of the best meetings I've had. And I go, that makes me feel better. It doesn't surprise me. But it makes me feel better because I now know somebody else has kind of been, for lack of a better term, saved from what I used to do, which was avoid financial advisors and then just kind of flutter along. Uh, his name is Mark Hanna. He works at Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Their website is evergreenstl.com. And um, he's just a sharp guy who truly does help everyday people meet their financial goals. And he does so every day. So it's not like he's going to, you know, there's a commercial. There was a really good commercial. Uh, there was a television commercial and I don't know who it was for, but like the couple was kind of apologetic that they only had so many dollars and you know, the person said, yeah, I don't, it doesn't matter because to you that's, that's a fortune. And so Mark's not going, oh, I'm not going to take you because your portfolio isn't big enough. That's not what, that's not his business. His business is helping people organize and get them on the right track and then being there for them when they have questions. And he's a sharp guy with a great work ethic who's just an impressive person. His name is Mark Hanna. He's online at evergreenstl.com. His number is 314-889-0503. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies presenting Grant Wistrom today here on the Tim McKernan Show. So you get to Nebraska, and I'm looking at, because I, I can remember a lot of national championships. Did you win three national championships? Yeah, we should have played for four. So I'm just, I'm like, I'm pretty, I know he won one for sure. And I'm pretty sure there was a second one because everybody talks about that 95 team. But then I'm going, oh, 94, 13 and 0, 95, 12 and 0, 97, 13 and 0. So I guess you have to, by process of elimination, be talking about 1996. Was that the Big 12 championship game in St. Louis? Yes, it was. How about that against Texas? Yes, it was. Wow. And you guys were undefeated Um, going into that, I imagine. Yep, we were under. No, we had lost to Arizona State. Oh, I remember that, Jake the Snake. The yeah, yeah, against Arizona State. So those are the games I lost in college: Arizona State and Texas my junior year. And that was it. Yep, that was it. In four, yeah, four years. And then <laughs> actually, I won my. I won. We won state my junior and senior year of high school in football. So I actually did not lose a football game from the second game of my junior year of high school to the second game of my junior year of college. Oh, my God. So I ended up winning like 50 straight football games <laughs> or something like that. 
Oh, I, I still, I mean, it's been 22 years since that Arizona State game, and I still, I still remember it, actually. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's that how is. rare it was for Nebraska to to lose. I mean, it was like, it was like a national story. It was like a random Saturday night game. Yeah, especially to a team like, you know, ASU was good. They right. Had, you know, Derek Rogers, defensive end, Jake Plummer. Uh, they had a good, J.J. West, I think, was their running, or Rogers was their running back, I think. Was it J.R. Redmond, yeah. maybe? J.R. Redmond, yeah. Yeah. J.R. Redmond. Yeah, so they had a good team, but we still, you know, we should have won. Of course. We well, and I, I think the score was like nine to nothing or something. It was like that. a weird game, six to nothing. I, and they had like three safeties. Or, I mean, they didn't score on our defense. We pitched a shutout and lost. Oh my god! You know, it was crazy. Something I don't know. I don't remember. It may not have been that bad, but it was a deal where it was like just the offense just came unglued. Now I still say this, and anytime I talk to you, I ask about it. So you already know where I'm going. November eighth, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, that that the Missouri Nebraska game of of nineteen ninety seven is one of the best college football games I've ever watched. Now, granted, I'm emotionally attached to Missouri, but I just thought the and I'm curious what your perspective is from the Nebraska side of the flea kicker. But the the weather was perfect, the place was packed. Missouri was dog shit earlier in the year. They had kind of gotten it going. They hadn't been to a bowl in like thirteen or fourteen years. And they had just become bowl eligible. You guys were like twenty five and a half point favorites or something, and undefeated. And Weren't it was we ranked like number one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it was you guys in Michigan, yeah. uh, and yeah. uh, and 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 so it's not even on the map. But people are just excited that Missouri's relevant. And here comes this powerhouse. Nobody thought it was going to be a good game. Now I'm observing it, and I think the thing that made it great is that both teams played well. Now I would imagine if I'm talking to you or Scott Frost or Tom Osborne, you guys probably go, no, we played like crap and that's what allowed Missouri <laughs> to be in the game. What is your perspective? Uh, you know, I feel that we could not stop Corby Jones that game. You know, he played a heck of a football game, I thought. Um, I don't think we played really well at all on defense. But once again, was that because we didn't play well or they played good? Yeah. Um, you know, we play that game 10 times. I think we went, you know, nine out of 10 times, but, uh, they, they, they had our number that day and it, you know, luckily, you know, they, the kid says he's, he says he kicked it on purpose, you know, now, who, who, now it was a Shevin Wiggins who, Shevin Wiggins who kicked it and Matt Davidson who caught it. Now Matt Davidson's like yeah. a broadcaster, I think. No, Matt Davidson is the associate athletic director. Now. No he's, way. He was Scott doing Frost some broadcasting. Right man. Oh man. It's been. Uh, where you been, Tim? Uh, <laughs> so at, when, like, Davidson, when he was doing the broadcasting, was kind of like uh, in backdoor communication with Scott down at East. Not backdoor like anything hinky, but just keeping it out of the press, communicating with Scott, kind of like gauging his interest right. to get him back in Nebraska. Davidson was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And so when Scott got hired there, Scott brought him on as kind of his right-hand man. Wow. So, yeah, the Nebraska yeah. politics that I'm not aware of. Well, but the funniest thing is to ever be around Coach Osborne flipping Davidson a ration of crap, turning it one football catch and, you know, into an entire career. <laughs> That's good stuff. You, you, people, you know, see Coach Osborne is so stoic that he will get you good. It, it's awesome. I love seeing uh, Master Davidson. I have to tell you, I bought in right away. Uh, as a uh, gentleman who likes to place a wager here and there, I was all in on Frost coming up to Nebraska this year, and I'm like, oh, the first game was, I don't even know who it was going to be. It was like Akron, who you guys used to abuse in the 1990s, by the way, uh, as you probably might remember. Uh, and I think that's who that was supposed to be, and then it got, there was those storms, and so it didn't. Did you go up for that game? I, I wouldn't surprise me if you did. 
No, I didn't go to that one. I was supposed to go to the Colorado game. Which uh, wound up being the opener because of the, the cancellation yeah. of the other one, right? Yeah, but my daughter got selected for some uh, for an all-star soccer tournament, so I got to go do that instead. Look at the Wistrom so, jeans. No, uh, oh, she's she's freaking awesome. She's amazing. She's she's like got the competitive. She's just nasty. How old is she? Is she going to be playing like college soccer? That's that's her plan. She's wow. 11. That's her plan, yeah. And that's her plan at 11. Yep. My plan no, was to play, play 40 games of RBI baseball and Nintendo when I was 11, so we're indifferent. That's that- it. <laughs> and where, where are we getting pizza from that night? <laughs> exactly. So, so you, you but, but, but then the season starts off the way that it did, and I'm like, oh, crap. I mean, what the hell happened? And I think the anticipation in Lincoln and around Nebraska was like, this: the, he's going to restore the glory, or as your fans used to say, order restored. What were you thinking? Because you played with the guy, and you're seeing the mess that things were for the first few weeks. It, and like, I did not see you know, on social media, and that's you know, or even where people like to get up on their their soapboxes and whatever. Right. It's easy to you know to to castrate someone on social media. I did not see one person doing that from Nebraska. Every single person that I saw, uh, and you know, I get a lot of stuff just popping up on my feed is just, hey, this is our guy, this is our team, you know, we stand behind you. I did not hear. You know, for every one naysayer, there were a hundred positive things said. Um, people knew that this was going to be an ugly year. Um, I don't, and then, I, and Scott knew it was too. You know, I talked to him a few times, and then uh, I was up there right before well, for the Illinois game and speaking to him the night before the game. I think that he had no idea just kind of the situation that some of the non-football stuff was in that he was going to have to deal with too, just administrative stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a complete overhaul foundation. You know, the whole building had to be destroyed. And so at 0 and 6, they're playing Bethune Cookman in crappy wet. Well, it was actually a nice day in Lincoln in November. And it is a sold out game, 90,000 people to watch an 0 and 6 football team play. That is not a team or, a, you know, a fan base that's given up on the team at all. They had recruits in that weekend that were blown away just about the support and the love that was still there. And then when they started to turn the corner at the end of the season, I really think that they they were better at the end of the season than they thought they were going to be. Mm. They started out rough with not having the opener against Akron and then losing. They could have beat Colorado. They Absolutely. really should have beat Colorado. And then you lose Martinez for the next game. So, I mean, all right, there you start out, you know, in a big hole. And for the way that season started to finish the way that they did, I think it was a huge positive. They could have won that game in Columbus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they got the crap beat out of them by Michigan. Michigan's a heck of a football team. Played really well that day. But I really think that going 0-6 and and going through that galvanized them. Uh, I think it made them a better football team with the way things you can transfer now in college. They had a lot of kids that didn't want to toe the line and do it Scott's way, jump ship. Because uh, they don't, they didn't, you know, they weren't playing, and they didn't want to be on an 0-6 football team, so they left. I think, which is great. And he, when uh, he's when he at the end of this next recruiting period, there will be 115 new players on the team that weren't there a year and a half ago. Wow, boy, that's an overhaul. Yeah, I mean, it is a. So I'm not saying they're going to set the world on fire next year, but I am not at all upset how the season went up there. I'm really excited about the direction of the program, and uh, I think he's one of the best 
coaches in college football. I think the guy's doing a hell of a job, and I think it's all going to get better. Yeah, I buy in in a, in a big way, and it, I guess in the yeah. whole scheme of things, it doesn't surprise me that at the end he did turn it around, but it's a huge credit yeah. to go from 0-6 and, and have the kind of <sighs> finish they had. So I'm curious, because you played it, you started in the Big 8, and then the Big 12 comes along, and then you're obviously part of that. Now Nebraska's in the Big 10, Missouri's in the SEC. Personally, as a Missouri fan, I love being in the SEC, even though you know it's you know it's a monster uphill climb yeah. to to compete in that thing. What do you think about Nebraska being in the Big Ten? Well, I, I feel like Nebraska owes the Big Ten a huge apology for just the complete crap show that it's been ever since <laughs> they joined the conference. Uh, that's going to change, and I am excited to be in the Big Ten and to be able to compete with the big boys. Uh, you know, I, to be able to just go, oh, I would have loved to have played. You know, I, I, it was fun. The big, the big eight and the Big Twelve was fun. You had a couple big games every, you know, year. In the Big Ten, you got four or five big games every year that you're playing against great football teams. That would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, the uh, I would imagine Nebraska that 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 that's going to be a renaissance here within the next year or two, and and uh, you know, basically, it's just been whoever wins. What is it now? Because it was the legends and leaders. Is it as simple as east? It's it's east and west now. But whoever's been winning the East, I I couldn't remember that. I I couldn't follow for the life of me. But essentially, whoever's been winning the East has been the team that represents the uh, the Big Ten in getting in there. So uh, you you get get out of Nebraska, you kill it there, win national championships left and right, um, and then you get drafted by the Rams. Honestly, be honest, because the Rams were you you talk about shit shows. The Rams were a shit show, and and. Oh, good. I forgot we're on a podcast. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Let it fly, man. Let it fly. All right, all you know, right. spread your wings. Get comfortable. Kick back. <laughs> um, but the, the, I'm curious how it works because I would imagine part of you is just like I'm thrilled. I'm a first round pick in the NFL. But then I don't know if you're also going. I all I've done is win my entire football career, and now I'm going to this on draft day. What's your mindset when you find out you're coming to St. Louis? Ah, uh, so the Cowboys called me the night before. And uh, they they had a plane in Joplin because they picked eight that year. The Rams picked six. The Cowboys picked eight. They called the night before, and they said, hey, we think the Rams are going to take you with the sixth pick. Will you tell them not to draft you? And I said, oh, my gosh, I'd give my right testicle to go play for the Cowboys over the Rams because <laughs> the Rams were losing his team in the previous decade, and then we got the America's team. But uh, I go, I can't do that. I go, that's not the type of person I am. Is that commonplace um, where guys call or guys' agents call franchises and say don't draft them? Outside of I like Eli Manning and the Chargers and Giants deal or whatever the hell happened or Philip Rivers, whatever that was. Yeah, it was Manning. I have no idea. I, I mean, for no to put idea. to put a 22-year-old in that position to call a franchise and say don't pick me? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just, so I told my guy that. And then, you know, sure enough, the next day, six fifty, you know, I'm going to the Rams. And I was, and as much as it was about going to a, a shitty football team, to me, I'm like, I was 18 years old, you know, 21 at the time. I've lived my entire life pretty much in the Midwest. I'm getting ready to go to the NFL. I can go to San Diego. I can go to LA. I can go to New York. I can go to Dallas. I can go to Miami. I'm like, I go to St. Louis. I'm like, that, well, shit. I'm going to go live in St. Louis for the football team. So it, it, I, w- I was less than excited. Obviously, it was an amazing opportunity to go play in the NFL. And I wasn't looking, you know, that, that in the mouth, that gift horse in the mouth. I really appreciate that opportunity. 
However, it wasn't the most glamorous of situations. It could, at least it wasn't Cincinnati. That's all, you know, at that point I can say it wasn't Cincinnati. (laughs) If that's the way you're looking at it, by definition, that is, that is accurate, but it was an absolute, I mean, just a total cluster. Uh, The team did when they got here. I'm sure you weren't paying attention that you were running national championships in 95, one of the best Nebraska teams uh, or college football teams in general, but they, they were competitive in the first year they got here, but then it was just a mess. Six and 10 and 96, five and 11 in your first year. Four and twelve, and, and so like you made reference to it, Web City, you do nothing but win. At Nebraska, you do damn near nothing but win. What's it like to go from that to doing almost nothing but losing? Okay, it, I lost more games that first year in St. Louis than I'd lost in junior high school <laughs> in football in one season, like by mid by the midpoint of the season or something. It sucked, man. And like I said, but. I wasn't helping the situation at all. I was a horrible professional my rookie year. Um, you know, I, I couldn't stay awake in meetings because I wasn't taking care of myself off the field, you know, not eating right, you know, staying out too late, doing shit I shouldn't have been doing. So, but, you know, I, I had to learn, and I did. And, you know, I'm sorry that it cost me a year of my career to do that. And it probably wasn't as awful as I remember it being or uh, making it out to be right now. It's just something that it was lost opportunity is what it is. And I could have been a better professional, could have been a better professional throughout my entire career. But, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So what what was the switch that flipped? Because, I mean, something must have flipped in some capacity between 1998 and 1999. James Carlton, the sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Gentlemen, I'm doing business with now. I switch because he is so good. He's online at carltoninsurance.net, 314-961-4800. Imagine having a crisis in your life, thinking that there is insurance covering it, and find out that there is not. Honestly, that's the reason why I made the switch to James Carlton, not because I had that situation pop up, but because I realized his customer service was much better than what I had been dealing with. Now, he can save you money. And yeah, customer service is nice and everything, but when it gets down to it, knowing that when you call an office, you're going to talk to somebody who's going to tend to your need, that sounds like something like out of the 1960s, but that's the way that it works with James Carlton. It's because his team of seven in Webster Groves, all locally based, 314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net. His name's James Carlton. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton, State Farm. Uh, You know, everything just slowed down. I became more comfortable with it. I became more comfortable within my own skin outside of the football, you know, living in St. Louis, being on my own. It, it just, you're drinking water from a fire hose that first year. So I don't know if I was just coping with shit outside of football, you know, ways that I shouldn't have been. And I just drinking too, right. you know, more, not like to a excess all the time. It wasn't anything more than that, but just spending too much time on bars. Yeah. No, but, there, uh, there was one night you guys had played during the day. I think you'd flown back and I was posted up at the Cheshire and uh, it's a late night and you just grabbed the guitar and just put, and there weren't a bunch of people around and you just put on a nice little concert for us. It was a wonderful, <laughs> it was a wonderful performance, sir. You are so welcome. <laughs> uh, so glad I could do that. For you. I, I wish I could say that was the only time I could that. But, Oh, yeah. And by the way, for as down on you as you are about your 1998 rookie season, as I'm sitting here looking up data as we're talking, I noticed that you were the Rams defensive rookie of the year in 1998. I was the only one that played other. Me was London Fletcher, and I don't think he was more of a special teams guy that year. I won it by default. (laughs) 
So what ha- so what happens between 1998 and 1999? I remember Jack Snow worked at the radio station, and I was still in school at the time. Or I was, I guess, in my first TV job. And I remember him telling my dad, who was our general sales manager, he said something along the lines of, I'm telling you, Tim. He goes, these guys are going to be good this year. And the Rams at that point, after four or five years of being as shitty as they were, it was just kind of like, all right, you know, Jack being Mr. Ram, he's going to think they're going to be great every year. So you kind of let it go one ear out the other. And I was working down in Little Rock. It was my first television job. And I remember seeing on the feed Trent Green go down and how Isaac Bruce responded like, oh, my God, Isaac Bruce has really worked up. And now with the benefit of hindsight, Isaac's been in studio here on the on the podcast. Like he was so upset because he was like, finally, after all of this piss poor football, I think we actually have a good team. And now it's out the window. Could you tell that there was a big difference in camp or was it something that wound up surprising you as well? No, I mean, just like in camp, I didn't have much to compare it to. You know, I'd only been around a really crappy football team before. I I had one year in the NFL. At camp, it, it felt it felt good. Like the reason we were four and twelve, not really just because we were a horrible collection of football players. There were some turds on that team, <laughs> and so you did. When you're going to work, you're like, "Shit, I got to see this guy," or I got, you know what I mean. And just like, did they not I work, just, or were they just bad dudes, or what was going on? But it, both, yeah. Just guys that are like, I don't like this guy. Right. You know, I don't want to talk to this guy. This guy makes me miss some loud mouth. I want to deal with this. Or guys that don't want to work. You're out there busting your ass, and some guy you know is not hurt, is just in there laying on the training table because I don't feel like doing shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, that type of – so, and Coach Vermeil's changed going into that next year, too. He backed off the, you know, backed off the accelerator on us a little bit. Now, we still worked our asses off, but not to the point where we did the year before. At the year before was my first camp, obviously. I'm in line, that, um, we, and we had rookies had to come in before veterans at camp, training camp. I'm in line getting food, and one of the NFL crew's film crew guys is behind me, and he's like, uh, man, he's like, you guys practice like this every day? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't know. This is my first one. Yeah, this is all I know. So, yeah. I'm like, how does this compare to other ones you've seen? He's like, man, we were talking. We've never seen anything like this. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. So, you know, but then going into the next year, Coach Vermeil said he had a three-year plan going in. That was his third year there. He backed off. He's like, I got, you know, the first years I knew I had my work cut out and I have to weed out the, the bad apples. And uh, so he was able to handle us differently. So it's just a completely different environment going into that training camp. Now, when Trent goes down, obviously the wind gets let out of the sails. But we, you know, we as a defense had seen had had Kurt pick us apart the entire training camp. So it wasn't like, you know, he was a secret. Obviously, when you, I think that, like you saying, Isaac said that just he, we knew the cover wasn't there when Trent went down. But it was like son of a bitch, you know, still horse bit or still right. still snap bit right. after all these years. Right, 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 right. And I remember, like I said, I was I was so anchoring. You know, it's mostly Razorback stuff, but I would show all the NFL highlights. And I'm like, wow, the Rams won. You guys opened up against the Ravens and you beat them. I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? Is it at that point that you go, okay, there might be something going on, or still you don't really have an idea? I mean, that was you Kurt's don't first have start. An idea. I'm sorry to interrupt. With no, I said, yeah, you still, is it, do, you, do, you, do you know, like, okay, we knew we were going to do this, or you're still kind of like, we don't know yet? Uh, I, I, I didn't know it. You know, I mean, maybe other guys felt it, but it was just, it was, and we were so young. Man, we had so much fun that season. Uh, just 
because I got, especially on defense, we were really young and we would have so much fun playing together. We'd have so much fun hanging out together. It was just fun. You loved what you did. We worked hard. We played hard. Uh, but as far to say that we knew we were going to be awesome, no, I, I didn't feel that way. But I did know that it was a different thing, and winning feels good. And I love these guys I'm playing with. And I, you know, I, I, I this is going right. Let's keep doing this. And the, you know, and it just snowballs that. And then you get more guys buying in, and more guys willing to work hard. And you know, and I think it was that sort of deal for me anyway. Yeah, I, I remember Vermeil told me that he said the 49ers game was the one where he's like, okay, this is real. And then I think Bill Walsh came into him and, and when he was doing his postgame press conference and said, you got it this year. He goes, you're going to win this thing this year. That's yeah, what, That was when he woke up and said, oh, my God, we really got We might have a, a champion here. <laughs> That's all. I didn't. I haven't heard that story. Yeah, that, I, and I guess I've seen video of it too. Uh, so the the things that stand out to me: the Vikings playoff game and the first play from scrimmage, touchdown. The place is about to explode. Um, and then one of my favorite sports moments I've been in attendance to, especially when I'm not covering it. I was there as a fan. Uh, was Warner to Prull on third down. And when you, oh, yeah. And I feel like that, you know, Dwight Clark in Montana, that's known as the catch, and I understand because it was bigger in the sense that it kind of illustrated the transition, the changing of the guard from the Cowboys in the 70s to the 49ers in the 80s with the benefit of historical perspective. But, my God, I mean, there, there were like five minutes left. You guys are losing to kind of, I mean, that's not a random team, but you certainly weren't expected to lose to the Buccaneers. The offense had been shut down. I don't even know what the score was. It was like six to five or something like that. Yeah, I want to say nine to seven. Or uh, yeah, I mean, just a random score because there was a safety. And, yeah, we got a safety. Yeah, and it, oh, you, you got the safety? I don't. I know. I said we got it. Yeah, there was yeah. a safety, and there I mean, was, was a random. Down, score. Yeah, I don't. I didn't they snap it out of the back of the end zone or something? That's right. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, was, so you're yeah. just like, oh my god, this run is going to come to an end like this. Yeah. And then Warner on third down, and that was obviously it wasn't like Prol was wide open, you know. Brian yeah, Kelly no, was right there. So, so I mean that that's a moment where when that happened, I remember I almost fell over. I grabbed my chair, and the place it was. I mean, it was absolute insanity yeah. when that happened. One of my favorite moments of all time. What, what's your perspective from the? Uh, obviously, you're on the sideline watching this thing at this point. Are you guys thinking, "Oh my God, this thing's going to come to an end"? We thought we were. It was a no brainer. We were going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, it was scary. And then for a guy like Ricky Prohl to make that freaking catch, you know, a guy that has busted his ass his entire career, has been a blue-collar guy, and he's had big catches before, but, man, to make that catch in that situation was freaking awesome. I, I love Ricky Prohl, and for, uh, I was so excited. I got, and I just remember because we were hanging out that night, and I got to talk to him about it, just just how happy I was for him, how fired up he was. It was a very cool moment. I totally agree with you. And, and I, I don't. I assume you're aware of this because it's probably like any time you talk to anybody from Tampa, it's like when you talk to me being from Missouri and I bring up the, the, the 97 game. In Tampa, I didn't realize this. They think they got screwed for what became known as what the Bird Emanuel rule, if I'm not mistaken, or something along yeah. those lines. What's your yeah. perspective on that? I, I, I still don't see that, but in Tampa, like I like Tyoka Jackson still pops up on the show every now and again, and he was on that team, and he's like, oh, that was terrible. And that no, was I'm like, whatever. really? Whatever. Tyoka was always good. <laughs> <laughs> Forget him, man. <laughs> uh, he's funny. Uh, no, I, I, whatever. You know, it's just, it, to me, it's kind of like the tuck rule. I mean, yeah, sure, you know, the Raiders can complain about that, too. Whatever. 
to who gives a damn. So, yeah. so you guys get down to Atlanta, and, and you're playing in the Super Bowl, and, and of course, the play that's remembered, there's two plays that really stand out, which, of course, is the tackle, and then also Isaac's, uh, Isaac's catch, and then the touchdown. Um, what do you remember specifically about that final play of that game, and, and your viewpoint, and what you saw, and what you experienced when you realized the thing is over? Uh, you know, just, I had taken myself out, because I was was just getting worked by their offensive tackle Brad Hopkins at that point in the game and they just pounded the ball down our throats and I wasn't doing anything so I and they were you know I was like Leonard go get a pass rush so Leonard went in for me so I got a great sideline <laughs> but uh you know it was awesome I mean just a heck of a football game still one of the top super you know best Super Bowls you know ever, ever. Yeah. yeah and to be you know to come out on the good side of it makes it even more awesome uh, but, um, it was amazing, man. Amazing. Uh, and just so lucky to be a part of it. You know, guys like Aeneas Williams play for forever and never win a Super Bowl, and to be able to, to do something like that and be a part of something like that. Um, especially in as much as I was talking earlier about being upset about going to St. Louis, I could not have asked for a better of situation. And I wanted to make sure I said this too. I love St. Louis. I could not. I am so thankful I got to go to St. Louis. I'm so thankful I got to win a Super Bowl in St. Louis for the city of St. Louis, for the state of Missouri. Um, I, I love Missouri. I I could live anywhere in this world that I wanted to, and I choose to come back home right? Uh, because I love the people here and be able to do that in St. Louis. Uh was absolutely awesome. Yeah, I think I think there's a difference when you're a 21 year old and you can go anywhere and you're going, oh my god, all I've done is spend time in in Southwest Missouri and Lincoln, Nebraska, and now I'm going to essentially be a few hours away still, even though I could have. Been. I mean, I think uh, when you you know contextualize it, what you're saying makes all the sense in the world. It's not a shot at Missouri or St. Louis so much as yeah. I thought I could have gone to L. A. or San Diego or whatever. I, I'm real curious. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the 2000 season, but just curious because that offense was sick, but for whatever reason, the defense just was not right in 2000. And and you guys still could have made a run in 2000. You had the, the loss against the Saints in the playoff game. I recall being that Azakim's fumbles the thing that stands out. I'm just curious from your perspective. You go from a Super Bowl defense and you guys win it to whatever happened in 2000. And you know, I remember interviewing Martz, and it was the same thing. It's still a running joke here in St. Louis. And they say, "Shoot, we'll fix it. Shoot, we'll fix it." And like after a couple weeks, you're like, "Dude, fix it. What what the hell's going on?" I remember Bud Carson came out of retirement and kind of became co-defensive. Yeah. What was going on? I don't know, man. I honestly don't remember a lot of it, but uh, I do remember busting out. But we just, you know, we couldn't find our ass with both hands. Um, <laughs> it, it, we were just bad, and is that, so that was. You said that's when we lost to the Saints, New Orleans. Yeah, Oz, Oz yeah, fumbled the we punt. Beat him like the week before. That's right? correct to get into the playoffs yeah, when, uh, like, the Bears weekend. hit a field goal yeah. against the Lions, and it got you guys in on Christmas Eve. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We weren't good. <laughs> That's, you know what? You can sum it up with those three words, and there's really yeah. nothing else to say. So here's the thing. I always look at the 99 team, and I go, that team was really a couple of plays away from being in the mix to be an undefeated team. And it kind of, and I feel like it kind of gets forgotten because you guys went 13-3 and three in the last week. You, you, you know, it was a week where you didn't need to do anything, yeah. so you take it off. And so people always say, well, the 2001 team was better than the 99 team. Mm-hmm. Is that your opinion? No, I don't think so. So I you think, think that? All right, good. We're on the same page. Yeah, I think our defense is better at ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think our secondary was better at ninety nine. And 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 I always look at, and I've said this, and I've kind of built a, a, a thesis around this, that if the Rams beat the Patriots in two thousand one. I think all of history for the St. Louis Rams changed. Yeah. I think it was a domino effect 
on the franchise with a lot of things off the field. I think Martz, obviously that kind of impacted him as it would impact anybody in that situation and then some organizational things. And I guess if I'm not mistaken, Grant, there was a big decision. There were three free agents, Oz, London, and Leonard, and and they only could keep one, and, and they decided to keep Leonard. And, you know, obviously London Fletcher just stopped playing us a few years ago, and if you could go back, maybe that would have been a, a world changer um, with that. But going back to the, the Super Bowl thirty six. You know, when I talk, sometimes Falk's been on, Isaac's been on, and and I bring up, you know, the allegations against the Patriots. If I'm not mistaken, we've talked about it before, and it's consistent kind of with what your attitude was on the 2000 season, you know, and, and then the tuck rule and the Bert Emanuel thing. It's like, whatever. If it happened, it happened. Is that consistent? Like, you're not on tilt over the allegations on Spygate? No, and because it's like we were still good enough football team to win that game. We should have won it, you know. Um but if we're dumb enough to run crap in an unsecured environment that's going to affect the outcome of the game the day before the game, I mean, was there more than that? I don't know. I, like I said, I don't, I don't pay attention to this stuff. I just, it, 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 I can't, you know, it's not going to change the future. They're not going to go back, oh, give us the time. So right. was, was it more than just spying on us the day before the game? I mean, the, the allegations are that it was from the, the practice, the walkthrough on Saturday. Yeah, if we're dumb enough to run plays, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> That's stupid. I think like, a bigger like, thing when you look back on that game is how your receivers were abused at the line of scrimmage yeah, and then it wasn't called. You know, I mean, that, that to me was the biggest difference. Well, I, I, you know, I've never watched a game, though, where the Patriots don't go to get the benefit of the doubt on calls. Ever. That <laughs> never happens in the NFL. <laughs> That's a historic. Do you ever go back and watch any, any games in general? No, not really. Really? No. Uh, like, uh, like sometimes, like my son really doesn't give a rip, and, and that's cool. And my daughter will sometimes come back and watch some clips and things like that. But uh, for the most part, nobody really gives a crap in my house. I would so much rather watch, you know, what's you know going on in football right now than videos of how awesome I wasn't anyway. So, how old is your son? Uh, Thirteen. I would think that that would be pretty cool if I were 13, that my dad played in the NFL and won a Super Bowl and a billion national championships. Well, you'd be wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. We're sitting like I bribed him, I think, for the Super Bowl last year to sit down and watch 30 seconds of it with me. I ordered him a pizza. I'm like, you know, if you if I order you pizza, you sit down and watch the game with me. Oh, yeah, Dad, yeah. So, you know, and they pan across, you know, they show like a replica or image of the Super Bowl trophy, Lombardi trophy on TV. And no shit, ours is, you know, from the Rams, we have one, and it's 10 feet away from the television. <laughs> so he, and it's been there for years, and he is staring at the TV, and then you can just see his head cocked to the side like a dog, and then he looks to his right and sees the real trophy, and then he looks back to the TV, and then back at the trophy, and he says, Dad, we have that trophy right there. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, buddy, I played in the Super Bowl one time. I was really good at something a long time ago. And he's just like, oh, okay. And then back to the pizza. I mean, that's, And that was it. And that, that was, was it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's all. God. How about that? Oh, my God. Um, so it, it all wraps up in, in Seattle. Um, when it did wrap up, what was that Was that process like for you? Because some guys, you see them, especially the quarterbacks, they have the big press conferences and they can barely compose <laughs> themselves. What were you like? No, yeah, nobody really cared. Uh, <laughs> that I, um, I, I, we were sitting at home. We had just had our daughter, and we were, and it was mid February, I think. Yeah, no, she was born in March, 
beginning of March, and uh, we're watching. Um, ESPN was on, and we're hanging out in the living room. And we, the year before, all the up front office from the C, uh, from the Falcons came to Seattle, and so uh, they started bringing in Atlanta guys. And uh, so we're sitting there watching ESPN, and across the ticker, I see Seahawks sign Patrick Turney to a six-year deal. And I just looked at my wife right then, and I said, we can start packing. It's time. We can go home now. Wow. So, yeah. And so they called me late, you know, about an hour later, they called me, and uh, they asked me to come in. So I walked in, and they were like, you know, do you want to take a pay cut? And I said, no, I'm good. And uh, so they said, okay, we're going to let you go. And I said, that's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> it's a good idea. You should do that. <laughs> and, you know, I had a couple other teams interested. Uh, but at that point, I, I, my body was beat to hell. Um, it, I said I was going to be done playing football when it became a job. I'd always told myself that because it's really freaking hard. It's a really hard game to play. And, when you have to, when you're driving to the stadium, I always played on the motion and it quit being fun. I became a job. And when you're driving to the stadium, because uh, you have to love battle, you have to love combat, you have to want to do it. And it got to be where I'm having to psych myself up driving to the stadium on a Sunday morning, like, okay, come on, you can do this, you can get through this. And it, that's not, that's not me. That's, that's not, not the way that I, it was when you first started. No shit, no. Yeah. I'm chomping at the bit. Yeah. I, I wanted, I wanted to go out. I wanted to, I wanted to not just run. I wanted to run through someone. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to. I, I love football. God, I know that I was put on this earth to play football. Like without a doubt, that that's why I was created. Um, I can remember being eight years old and being excited that I got to go to football practice because I got to go knock the shit out of someone and be <laughs> celebrated for it. I mean, I, I remember needing that. So um, when it quit being like that for me, it was time to get out. And when you're done, are you, do, you, do you watch it with going, oh, man, I, I missed this? Or are you just like, this is great that I'm going to wake up on Monday morning and not feel like I used to feel on a Monday morning? Yeah, when I see those dumb asses reporting to training camp at the end of July, I'm like, hell yeah, but I'm sitting by my pool flipping burgers. Yeah, I don't miss that at all. Oh, I'm People so envious me. of your mindset. It's so damn healthy. It's the best. Oh, man. I, uh, the only people I ask if I miss football, and I, I do, I miss the locker room, I miss the paycheck, and I miss being able to see a doctor whenever I need to see a doctor. Um, and not having to wait in line. Those are the three things I miss about football. <laughs> I notice very is, few of those have to do with the actual <laughs> game itself. No, uh, no, I don't miss that. That was, and maybe, you know, maybe I've forgotten how much I loved it because at one point it was the most important thing in the world to me. So maybe I've just forgotten how much I loved it and how much joy I got from it. But at this point in my life, I'm like really good that I don't get to play it. I do miss it when I go back to Lincoln. Yeah. I'm on the sideline and, you know, I'm getting to be in that environment again um, because that was the most fun time of my life up there, getting to play football up there. But uh, I do miss that. But other than that, I'm good. I'm curious what you thought as you watched the whole relocation process take place from afar. What did you think? thought it was bullshit um and not that the rams left uh i understand there's more money to be made in california than there is in st louis missouri i get that 
Um, the fact that they knew they were leaving, I truly believe they knew they were leaving four or five years before they ever said they were leaving. Um, and I don't, I don't maybe, maybe a lot of people think that, but I just think they, they put up a little bit of an act and not even a very convincing one of, you know, yeah, we'll stay and get it costing taxpayers, you know, money for stadium studies and things like that. You know, don't, if you're going to leave, leave, mm-hmm. don't sit here and drag it out, cost us more money and just, you know, trying to save maybe a couple, you know, season ticket sales. I, I just, it was bullshit the way it was handled. Yeah. That's the basis of one of the suits. I mean, there's a variety of suits and a couple of them have been Good. recently settled is that, you know, if you're going to leave, fine, but don't put on this song and dance. And that's the thing. Yeah. Kevin Demoff, he was, yeah, I mean, obviously he wasn't there when you were there. Because uh, he's he's like, I think he's younger than us. We're both uh, 42. He He's like 41. And, and he was he kept going on shows and he kept saying things that, that really now are being used against him, his own words. I mean, to Cronky's credit, which I realize is a prepositional phrase that is never said <laughs> in St. Louis, but <laughs> at least say anything. And now, Grant say it, I would imagine, without marching orders, but still... Um, it was totally misdirected, and that's why there are people who are following up on litigation with them because they just want to depose them. They just want to depose them because they, they want them to acknowledge exactly what you just said. If you want to yeah. move, fine. The clause allowed you to move. It was a stupid shit clause to have in the lease in the first place, but don't represent like you're trying to stay here all while you've already picked out a plot of land in Inglewood. Yep, exactly. Yep. I'm with you, man. Yeah, that's, that's, cool. that's, the, that's, the, that's the core issue. Well, Grant... I have loved the conversation as always. I say it's going to be thirty minutes, and then I go twenty minutes longer. So fuck me. No worries. But you I, got me on a good day. Ah, God bless, man. It was great catching up with you. Always like uh, bullshitting with you. Thank you so much for the time, man. Anytime, Tim. Take care, brother. All right. So there it is, Grant Wistrom here on the Tim McKernan Show. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I always say that though. I need to come up with a new line, but that's what that's what I'm thinking. I speak what I what I'm thinking, and that's what it was. I was thinking, man, I really like this one. Pete wasn't in here for it. Iggy was in here for it. And Iggy was amused by it. Iggy usually, like, checks out. Uh, And so that was, I just knew it was a good one. And you know when you got a guy kind of being introspective and thinking about this and that. And like he said, I caught him on a good day. So it was a good one talking Missouri, talking Nebraska, talking Rams, talking uh, the end of his career, talking relocation, talking all kinds of different things. I love the conversation. I should have had him on earlier. I forgot about how great of an interview he is and just a good guy. Uh, Grant Wistrom with us here, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Your feedback, welcome. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Never hesitate to reach out with your feedback. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors. Ryan Kelly, TheHomeLoanExpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton, Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, and Mike Judy Presents for making the podcast possible. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the TheHomeLoanExpert.com studios.